Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. In times of pandemics, we're very concerned about how viruses spread from one person to another, and we do all we can keeping that from happening. Well, today, Dr. Jennings, who joins us via Skype, talks about another deadly disease that can spread like wildfire, too. This pandemic can take your life, and you may not even know it. Dr. Jennings, help. Yeah, so we're talking about sin and how sin spreads. Sin is, quote, according to Scripture, transgression of the law. And where many people get confused is because they don't understand what we're talking about when we use the word law. We're not talking about rules like humans make up, imposed laws. We're talking about like law of gravity, laws of physics. God is the creator. His laws are the laws upon which reality operate. And so sin is being out of harmony with God, the creator, and the protocols he built life to operate upon. And being out of harmony with those laws is a terminal condition. Thus, the wages of sin is death. Mm -hmm. So sinfulness is a state of being. Sinfulness is a state of being out of harmony with God. It is a terminal state that results in death. And because of Adam, all human beings are born with this terminal condition, born in sin, conceived in iniquity, and without remedy from God results in what we call acts of sin or behaviors that give evidence to the heart condition that is no longer in harmony with how God built reality to operate. And so the sins themselves are the symptomology of a condition of being out of harmony. Now, how do we spread this condition? And what's the root of it? Fear and selfishness. Fear and selfishness is the root, whereas God's design is love and trust. Now, lies are also the root of sin. So you might say lies, fear, and selfishness, and truth, love, and trust. So temptation to sin can come from outside the self or inside the self. Hmm. Outside the self Eve being tempted in Eden, a temptation from outside herself. Temptation, though, is not sin. It all depends on the choice that you make. Eve sadly chose to believe the lie and act upon the lie, and in so doing, she changed herself to go out of harmony with truth, love, and trust. Yeah, even Christ had that internal motivation for sin. He was tempted as we are, so it's inside. That's a great point. So being tempted from outside is not injurious. It's whether you choose to to believe it and then act on it. Being tempted from inside oneself also does not injure unless one chooses to act on it. In the example you gave in Gethsemane, Christ was tempted in every way just like we are, yet without sin. He had strong human emotions that tempted him, but he did not act on those emotions. He acted in harmony with God's design, truth, love, freedom. So being tempted from within, evidence of the condition that we're born, but no injury occurs simply from the temptation. Now, when someone does choose to sin, though, outwardly, they, they steal, they assault, they molest, they exploit, they deceive, they betray, they ruin another person's reputation with gossip— Not only does the person injure their own self, searing their conscience, hardening their heart, warping their character, they plant a sin seed, I'll call it a sin seed, in the heart of their victim. Hmm. And if this sin seed is not removed from the heart of their victim, it will take root and it will grow and it will spread the protocols or principles of fear, selfishness, and sin into the victim, choking out the fruits of righteousness, choking out love and trust 
in producing more fear and selfishness in the heart. This is how sin spreads. I had a person who came to my Bible study class who came to see me, whose daughter had recently gotten married, and the daughter, a new husband, began to physically abuse her. And her daughter came over to the house with black eye, bloody lip on more than one occasion. And this woman whose daughter was being beaten had terrible amounts of anger and hostility. And she began to have ideas in her mind of getting a baseball bat and going over and beating the son-in-law to a bloody pulp. Now understand this woman herself had not been sinned against. Her daughter had been sinned against, but this man had done no harm directly to the woman, to the mother. But the mother still had this seed of anger, bitterness, resentment that was growing in her heart. And if she let it continue to grow there, she will ultimately become an abuser like the man who's abusing her daughter. This is how sin spreads. So one of Satan's master strategies is to get wicked people to do wicked things to injure the innocent and then implant in the heart of the innocent hurt, anger, resentment, hatred, bitterness, anti-love, and then have that grow so they seek to cure the sin problem by seeking out and destroying the one who did the sin. My, my. And it goes on and on and on. Right. And so they don't practice the methods of Christ to love our enemies, to pray for those who bitterly abuse us. Instead, they seek under the guise of justice to punish the one who did them wrong and then call it good. Mm. Satan is so good at this that he engages people in the pursuit of eradicating evil by practicing methods of more evil. Of more evil, yes, yes. So you can't get rid of darkness with darkness. You can't get rid of hate with hate. You can't get rid of violence with violence. You can't get rid of racism with racism. Hmm. So how about this? Contrast the methods. An innocent man is killed by authorities, and the response of the community is to riot and destroy other people's innocence properties and injure other innocent people who had no part in it, which leads to further cycles of hate, violence, resentment, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth mentality. Or here's a couple true stories. Racist gunman goes on a shooting spree in a church in South Carolina. And in the aftermath, the church members forgive the man and the community ends up in peace without violence. Or a gunman holds 10 Amish girls hostage, shooting and killing five of them, but the Amish community forgives the gunman and helps his family, and the violence stops and does not escalate, and the hostility goes away. You you see, Satan's method is to make people feel good about hurting other people. Show them an injustice and then cause the injustice to be an outrage, cause their outrage to then give them the sense of it is just and right for us now to go and hurt other people. And so we're going to hurt other people under the name of righteousness because we're responding to an injustice. And this is exactly the type of thing we have to use might and power, the coercion of state in order to force our way or to punish those who are different than us or punish those we see as doing evil. Remember, the only godly righteous use of 
human might and power and the force of law and state, Romans 13, you'll find this, is merely restraining evil, not punishing evildoers, simply restraining them. Yeah. And if you want to see it very clearly, and I, I was having this discussion some years ago with a guy, and he said, I don't know, I don't know, Doc. He said, you know, if I if I saw somebody, um, you know, assault my family, they were assaulting my family, and I had a gun, I wouldn't want to just restrain them. I'd want to kill them. Yeah. And I said, okay, let's take that example. Let's say there's a 19-year-old drug addict who is uh, strung out, in withdrawal, needing money, and he and he pulls a knife on your wife and and your five-year-old son. And you happen to see it and you have a gun. What would you do? He goes, I'd shoot him. I said, how about though if the 19-year-old is your oldest son? Oh, oh. And suddenly he goes, "Uh, Doc, I don't like you so much. (laughs) You see, as soon as I make it his oldest son, he suddenly doesn't want to kill his oldest son. What does he want to do? He still wants to to stop his oldest son from hurting his wife and his youngest son. He doesn't want any harm to come. Yes, let's restrain him. Let's restrain him. But he doesn't want to kill him anymore. He wants to restrain him. He wants to get him into help. He wants to redeem him. You see, this is godly use of might and power. Let me restrain the boy with the knife. Let's get him into detox. Let's put him into prison if I have to. But the purpose of prison isn't to punish him. It's to let his brain detox. Let him reflect. Let him repent. Let him become a friend. Let him become a man who loves his family so much he would rather die than hurt his family. Now, how about if it's not just his biologic family? How about if it's his church family? How about if it's the human family? Yes, yes. Yes. You know, it's amazing to think that when we have been wronged, and people wrong us, this is a very real thing, people wrong us, when we've been wronged, and we have feelings inside that are, oh, 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 we are holding in our hands, think of this visually, we are holding in our hands a big pile of seeds, sin seeds, and we have the option at that moment to spread those seeds or make them disappear in a, in a fire of love from our hearts, in a fire of forgiveness in our hearts. The sin stops with us. And I'm glad you said that because you said forgiveness, and that is the tool yeah. God has given us to root those sin seeds out of our heart. Forgiving someone doesn't mean what they did was right. right. Forgiving someone doesn't mean they get away with it. They still are damaged by the process. What forgiving someone does, it actually roots out of your heart the bitterness, the hatred, the anger. Uh, it just stops it from spreading into you. That's what it does. Boy, you know, listener, I think that you and I need to every once in a while stop and look at our hands. Are we holding sin seeds there from things that have happened to us? Are we holding them there? If we are, then Dr. Jennings just told us that we need to have a big dose of forgiveness to apply to those sin seeds. Am I right, Dr. Jennings? Not just look at your hands, look at your hearts. Yes. Look at the heart. What motivates the hands? Look at the hearts, the character, the personality, the mind. What is there? That's a beautiful lesson, Dr. Jennings. And that's the lesson that Jesus teaches us, to pray for those who mistreat us so that our enemies become our friends. Oh, my. Well, Dr. Jennings, you've asked us to do a a tough thing. How do we prepare ourselves to be the kind of people who will apply forgiveness to the seeds in our hands and our hearts? By taking our eyes off of the perpetrator and fixing our eyes on Christ. Mm. 
by beholding, we become changed. If Christ is the center and our hearts seek him, even in our pain and hurt, he will heal the wounds and give us the strength to do so. But if the temptation, we're so angry, we're so hurt, we're so mad that we take our eyes off Christ and fix our eyes on the one who did us wrong and on the human legal justice system, which may or may not hold them accountable in any way, then what happens is we we allow the seed to grow and we become more enraged and more angry that it doesn't seem to be fair that they seem to get away with this. But if we fix our eyes on Christ, then we know that ultimately in the end that those who refuse Christ's healing will reap what they sow in their own hearts. And what an example we have of this whole idea that Dr. Jennings has shared with us. We see Christ on the cross, and he's there with nails in his hands and his feet, and he's looking down at the people who put him there, the people who rejected him, the people who drove those nails through his hands and through his feet. Those people looking up at him, and Dr. Jennings, share with us, what did Jesus say? Jesus forgave them. And understand how reality works. His forgiveness was because he would not let evil take root in his heart. He forgave them and longed for them to be his friends, but they rejected and did not embrace his forgiveness. Thus, they still remained lost, even though they were forgiven by him, because they wouldn't let his forgiveness change them from enemies to friends. Comeandreason.com is the website. Listener, I invite you to stop by there sometime when you want to have a little refresher course in love and forgiveness. It's right there waiting for you, as well as Dr. Jennings' podcasts, his blogs, also a book called The Remedy, and I'll let you find out what that's all about, and I think you're going to find that's very exciting. Also, his other books, The God-Shaped Heart, The God-Shaped Brain, Could It Be the Simple and the Aging Brain? Those of us who have one of those aging brains will find it very useful to help us stay healthy and happy emotionally and physically. As we age, it's right there at comeandreason.com. And I appreciate all the things that Dr. Jennings has made available to us. They are very, very helpful. And they, like this program, can help us see the world in a slightly different way, sometimes more than slight, in a very different way. And that's what we need. Dr. Jennings, thank you so much for all that you do for us. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together.